today on the Tearsheet Podcast. I think the initial trend was kind of sending up these alerts, these general alerts to consumers, which were personalized to them, which is you have a bill coming up or um, your payment is overdue. So uh, telling them things that they probably already knew, um, but that, that's not a lot of value add. And it was also uh, a little bit too generic, meaning that I, I remember when I signed up for these alerts on, on my bank, I got like 50 alerts the first day and went, mm. oh, I'm turning all of those off because most of them weren't meaningful to me personally. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Zach Miller. Consumers increasingly expect higher levels of personalization from their financial service providers. Whether it's from a challenger bank or Bank of America, people are used to Netflix level of recommendations. An entire industry is cropping up to help provide a consumer's data from all her accounts so that a service provider can provide actionable advice when she needs it most. InvestNet Yodley's Senior Vice President of Products and Strategy, Brandon Remby, joins me on the podcast to talk about what leading financial services organizations are doing about best practices and personalization for their customers. Hyper-personalization, he says, presents an opportunity for FIs to provide insights that take into account and anticipate consumer behavior based on their savings, investing, and spending habits. Especially in crazy times like the ones we're experiencing today, aggregating financial data and creating insights with these tools ultimately enables consumers to have a more complete understanding of their financial health and empowers people to improve their long-term financial wellness and reach their goals. Brandon Ramby is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. I wanted to tell you about Tearsheet's newest online conference, Day-to-Day 2020. Entire financial ecosystems are emerging around financial institutions and large fintech companies with data at its core. We're spending three days hearing from top executives at firms like Fiserv, MX, Wells Fargo, InvestNet Yodley, Plaid, and more about how they are best leveraging customer data to help deliver better products and services. Day-to-Day 2020 is all about data sharing, data aggregation, and personalization. It's about the future of finance. For more information, click on the Day-to-Day Conference button at the top of our website, tearsheet.co. My name is Brandon Ramby. I'm Senior Vice President of Products and Strategy at Yodely. Um, I've been in the uh, fintech and wealth tech space for about 17 years now, uh, starting with a company uh, called Tamarac that I that I joined as, as CTO um, and head of product there as well. Uh, ran that organization for a number of years um, from a, a product and technology capacity that was sold to InvestNet about seven, eight years ago now. Um, and we, we really focused on wealth tech for RIAs servicing the high net worth, ultra high net worth, um, and then started to bring in the, the capabilities of Yodely uh, when that was acquired by InvestNet several years ago. Um, and when I pivoted my role over to um, the, the Yodely side of the business, uh, that was about two years ago now, it was really to bring together the the best of what Yodely had from a, a data and technology perspective in the best of what InvestNet had uh, from a, a, a technology perspective and make sure that we could truly service um, the full spectrum of customers from if you had $50 in your bank account to $50 million in your bank account, um, melding all of the, the products and data that we had to, to service clients end to end in a very seamless manner. What was that transition like, I guess, moving from the Tamarack side of the business to, to Yodley? What, did it require, um, I guess, a change of view for you to understand this, this niche of the market? It, it is. It, you know, it, it's a lot of the same data, a lot of the same types of technologies, but with 
different questions being asked of that data. If, if someone has uh, $20 million in, in their account, they have a lot of different problems and questions than someone that has $20 in their bank account. So while the, the, the data space and the uh, general domain was, was pretty much the same, the, the specific questions that needed to be answered and the specific problems that were trying to be solved um, did change pretty dramatically. So I've spent a lot of my time in the last two years going really deep in the, the retail space, making sure that we, we understood the, the problem segment that's being solved um, through different kind of financial cohorts as you, as you look at it from, you know, someone that needs to be saving um, just for their emergency savings fund, and that should be their primary goal to someone that's trying to save for a house, from someone that's trying to get a jumbo loan, all of those different spectrums and, and how we can assist in that complete financial uh, journey for somebody. And do you think, um, just in the, in the two years you've been in this role, um, do you think consumer demands, what their expectations have changed? Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, with a lot of the new uh, neobanks coming out and in changing the way that people want to interact with their finances, uh, purely from a mobile digital standpoint. Also, we, we acquired a company called ABAI uh, at the beginning of 2019. They do conversational um conversational UI for specifically for the, the bank uh, vertical and people are much more willing to work with a chatbot or work with a virtual assistant to get their finances, but they want questions asked and answered right away. They want those questions to be in answers tailored to them specifically. They don't want general, Hey, here's, here's what you should know or I'll be doing with the finances. It's you should know a lot about me and you should know what my specific needs are and you should tailor solutions directly to me. And I bet that those answers real time. And there's some really good digital banks out there um, that, that are kind of heeding that, that call. Um, so we've seen a huge pivot in, in customer demands being much more real time, much more hyper-personalized to themselves. Um, but, but also there are companies stepping up to, to meet that demand as well. I guess, how do you see the incumbent financial industry in terms of one of those trends, hyper-personalization? Um, is there a lot of catching up to do? Like, is it even a priority at this point? Like, I guess, where are they in sort of the evolution? You know, I, I, if you look at it from a um, kind of ROI to the consumer, I think the initial trend was kind of sending up these alerts, these general alerts to consumers, which were personalized to them, which is you have a bill coming up or um, your payment is overdue. So uh, telling them things that they probably already knew, um, but that, that's not a lot of value add. And it was also uh, a little bit too generic, meaning that I, I remember when I signed up for these alerts on, on my bank, I got like 50 alerts the first day and went, mm. oh, I'm turning all of those off because most of them weren't meaningful to me personally. So while it, there was that first attempt, and that's where probably most financial institutions still are, these generalized alerts. Some banks, uh, Bank of America and, and what they're doing with Erica and some of the things there have taken that next step, which is to provide um, kind of more insights into, hey, here's some trends that we've seen on, on your spending. Here's maybe some predicted cash flows that we see for you. But then to really take it to the next level is to create, to take those insights and those alerts and make them fully actionable. And there's very few cases where people are kind of helping consumers move down that, that path to create better financial outcomes through actionable insights. It's more just giving them information as opposed to taking them through a journey where they can easily take actions on the things that they're learning. 
And what would it take to get to that actionable bit? So one is, and, and where we're really focused on right now, is making sure that um, banks understand and that if, if you are providing insights to individuals, that you're looking at their complete financial picture. Um, it's one thing to say, well, uh, based on the data that I'm seeing, you need to save more for retirement. But if I don't know that Brandon had a $500,000 in his 401k and I say, you need to save for her for, for retirement, Brandon's going to go, oh, that, that's not meaningful to me. So the first part is making sure that uh, whoever's providing these insights understands the complete financial picture of someone. So Yodaly and, and aggregators play a big part in that in making sure that uh, the consumer can connect all of their uh, financial data into a single location. Um, that data also has to be normalized and enriched. It's one thing to see all of that data, but it's another thing to make sense of all of that data. Um, you know, I, and if you look across the, the Yodaly network, for example, I think there's about 272 different ways that uh, credit card companies classify Starbucks. So to understand how much someone's spending at Starbucks, there's a lot of data enrichment, data normalization that needs to come in to understand uh, and normalize that data. So it's, it's being able to get all of that data, normalize and enrich all that data. And once you have that, then you can start to begin to provide those more meaningful, holistic insights that are hyper-personalized to the, the person that is, is going to take action on them. And a lot of people are in different stages of that. I think some people have, some institutions have gone very far down that path and are doing a great job. And we see a much higher consumer engagement when they, when they do those things. Um, and then the last piece is providing that, those actionable insights. So taking the insights that the financial institution is providing, either through firms like Yodely or others, but then tying those into, hey, here's my, you know, a great example right now is a lot of people are reviewing their uh, recurring subscriptions that they have, their gym memberships. Um, I remember one of the things I looked at when I ran my data through, through Yodely was, oh, I have two gym memberships in California. Uh, I now live in Washington in California that I forgot to cancel. So let me go in and cancel those. Now, if it was a one-click process to be able to cancel those subscriptions as opposed to having to call up and figure out what the process is for each of those, one of the gyms was actually trying to make me go back in to cancel, um, allowing those types of, of seamless processes to cancel those subscriptions, save me that money, but then take the next step and say, hey, you just saved $100 a month it looks like you are underfunded for retirement. Why don't you uh, increase your 401k contribution or why don't you uh, contribute to your IRA? And here's a one-click approach to be able to do that. So those are the types of experiences we're working with the financial institutions to create now. Interesting. And I guess that, that sort of triggered a question for me. So you know, if, if you're aggregating content uh, or data from you know, a bank, an investment firm, and, and, and credit cards, so spending data as well, which institution typically takes sort of the quarterback position to, to deliver those actionable insights? It, it, I guess, is it clear in the, all those relationships who should be the sort of primary uh, advice giver? Yeah, so it, it's, it's a combination of um, multiple different data providers. They have their, you know, in the case of the financial institution, they have their own held data. You combine that with the held away institutional data. You take insights um, from Yodaly. And in some cases, uh, Yodaly can provide insights that a, a financial institution just could never provide, which is, you know, some of our pure benchmarking insights where we tend to have a much broader view because we have tens of millions of, of users that we can uh, pull this data in for. 
so we can provide broad trend analysis on, hey, am I, how am I spending on uh, Amazon or streaming subscriptions versus my peers? And that peer group could be someone that makes the same income that I do, that lives in the same geography that I do. All of those things um, that a typical financial institution couldn't provide for themselves or get a broad enough view to see. So it tends to be a combination of the fintech the financial institution themselves and uh, organizations like Yodely that uh, if you can combine all that to- together, you create the, the best insights for the consumer. Got it. Can we talk a little bit more about the peer benchmarking and the type of the quality of, of uh, in- insights you're able to, to generate because you look across uh, people and, and institutions? Yeah. So, and, and that's one of the strengths of when you create these network effects of of tens of millions and we have tens of millions of of users that we can look across to get these types of peer benchmarking and and see some interesting trends um you know with with what's going on with COVID, a lot of people are are making changes to their spending or have questions about their spending in their you know it's one thing to be hyper personalized to hey this is this is what i'm looking at and this is what i'm spending but people have the question of Hey, well, how does that compare to people like me? How does that compare to compare to different peer groups? And because we have tens of millions of people in our network, uh, we can allow individuals to slice and dice that peer network to see, hey, am I am I spending way more on groceries uh, than someone like me? Am I spending as my debt to income ratio way higher than it should be for someone in my peer group? Um, and, and that may be okay in some cases, and it, it just kind of provides. It really does provide a benchmark just so so people can hold up their finances and say, is there anything that looks way out of whack um, compared to what everybody else is is doing in America? And I think that's important as, you know, especially in environments like this where things are changing rapidly, people just want to have some assurance of, hey, am I doing something that's way outside the norm here? And and I guess, what do you think the demand is at the consumer level for that type of information? It feels like it's so needed, particularly at this at this moment in time. Yeah, it, it is interesting, and, and finances still tend to be one of those um, taboo subjects that people don't uh, still necessarily feel comfortable about talking with their friends of, you know, how much money do you make or how much are you spending on X, Y, Z. I think um, that opportunity to have that engagement is happening more and more. Um, but when you can, we can actually see and, and create not just what your friends are doing, um, who, who may or may not be in the same financial situation as you. But to expand that out, I think a lot of people have those questions of, hey, is, am I spending more on any particular category um, than what I should be spending or that what others are spending based on their income, based on where they live, based on both of those? Uh, and so I, I do think it is, it is very relevant for people to have that, that kind of ground truth to some degree of, hey, how am, I, how am I doing relative to others? And then they can make their own decisions about how, what they want to do with that information. But just being able to get an answer to that question is something that a lot of people haven't had the, the capability to do in a long time. And I guess this idea of um, financial wellness, I guess we'll call it, um, it's, it's certainly resonating now. And, and I guess, how do, your, how do the banks within the network um, respond to that? I guess this is a different way of me asking the question I asked before about who's the quarterback in this, but like, do, do banks, are banks like taking on the mantle of, of becoming like sort of financial wellness institutions? Yeah, it, it's both the banks, the fintechs, um, the, the banks that are successful and, and uh, I'll, I'll keep using Bank of America as an example with the, the engagement tools they've created with Erica and some of the insights there. They've done a really good job of <clears throat> providing these types of engagement tools 
some of the fintechs, because they are more nimble and don't have to deal with the, the overhead of the banks, have, have done a really good job in providing that type of context for the consumers, especially in the, the credit and lending space is a really interesting, um, obviously with everything going on, but it's, uh, it, it's changed a lot in the last few years. And there's really a shift in the marketplace right now to use this type of alternative data to enhance or supplement people's credit scores for the underbanked or, uh, or uh, thin file, no file credit um, consumers. They can use this type of alternative data source from their non-typical credit bureau data to say, hey, I, I want to either boost my credit score, um, I want to apply for a loan, but I, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a 23-year-old that just started working at Google. I make $150,000 a year, but I don't have a credit history, and it's hard to get a car loan. Can I use alternative data to uh, help me secure the loans that I need? So it, in different um, verticals, it's, it's creating a lot of disruption in the marketplace. So I think those financial institutions that can be quick to pivot and move, which unfortunately many financial institutions aren't able to, those are the ones that will succeed. But it's created a lot of opportunity in the fintech space to go in and, and disrupt more uh, more traditional financial institutions. Got it. So I'd like to switch gears a little bit for the remaining time we have left um, and talk about your product pipeline. Like, what what are you working on? Given some of the the trends you've described in the market, what do you what are you working on over the next you know twelve months? Yeah. So data aggregation has been the core of Yodali for the last 20 years. We connect to 23,000 financial institutions across the world over, I think it's over 18, 19,000 just in the U.S. and Canada alone. So we, we've established ourselves as the, the number one aggregator in the marketplace. And now what we're really doing is up-leveling the, the data that we get. So as I mentioned before, being able to normalize and enrich that data to make sure that I can identify that you spent $27.36 on at Starbucks um, in, in the store on this date. Those are the types of things that help us um, provide those, those great insights to consumers. So the, the data cleansing and enrichment, we use very large AI models to be able to, to help with that. We then take those trends and are able to do predictive analytics in terms of hey, are you going to be able to pay all of your future bills based on your spending and cash flow predictions that we have? Did you know that you have a large recurring expense coming up in a few months? So a lot of our recurrence patterns and things like that we're, we're working on. And then obviously with what I talked about in the, the peer benchmarking side of things, creating different cohorts or peer groups within that, and then finally providing those more actionable insights. So we're working a lot on demographics data, bringing in third-party data, to help consumers really analyze their spending and then provide better outcomes. So a lot of the things that we're looking at, especially with our partners in, at Investit and Money Guide Pro and financial planning, saying hey, those that, that have been successful with their financial plans and their financial journeys, what trends did they have as part of their, their journey that we can apply to more of the retail investor to help them succeed in whether they're trying to save for their emergency fund, whether they're trying to save for a second home, all of those things uh, we're applying across all of our network. And because we have so many consumers in our network, it creates this great network effect where we can take all of that great data to provide these, these great insights to provide better outcomes. That network effect is very impressive. Brandon, thank you very much for joining us on the Tearsheet Podcast today. Absolutely. Thank you.